Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. At one o'clock this afternoon, the crowd was waiting at Moscow Airport for a glimpse of a man whose name, they were assured, had become immortal, or Yuri Gagarin. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to go back in time to Soviet Russia in 1961 and tell Yuri Gagarin, the first man ever to go to space, that, hey, what you just did was pretty cool, but 60 years from now, we're going to do the same thing, but with a really rich dude. So watch out. <laughs> well, I think Yuri might be surprised that it took 60 years because, you know, there was so much excitement at the beginning of the space age about humans going to space and living in space. Moscow is celebrating with a spirit like nothing since BE Day. For the Soviet Union, Gagarin's flight is a conclusive victory. I don't know, he might be like, what took so long? <laughs> but I do think the billionaire side probably would surprise him. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... That history-making spaceflight, what's being called the dawn of a new space age. Billionaire Richard Branson, now the first person to reach the edge of space in his very own spacecraft. History in space. Jeff Bezos' private rocket ship taking an all-civilian crew right to the edge of space, fulfilling his boyhood dream. Brian Bender on how billionaires are blasting into space. But Washington might not be ready for all of it. You know, for basically much of the space age, going to space, sending astronauts to space, was the domain of a very small handful of countries, governments, the United States and Russia, um, for the most part, for a very long time. And in the past couple of decades, we've had a private or, as they call it, commercial space industry that has been steadily growing in leaps and bounds. So not just NASA and the Russian Space Agency, but private companies doing it and doing it with the idea that eventually we can not just have space tourists, uh, you know, more average people can go to space, but starting to build an economy in space. And of course, a lot of the driving factor has been a handful of billionaires who have a lot of money and a lot of ambitions who've decided to get into this business. Jeff Bezos is one of them. Elon Musk is another one. You mentioned Richard Branson. And um, all three of those guys, I, you know, I think have played a huge role in, in growing a, a space industry that just really didn't exist um, a few years ago. And you know, if we didn't have them doing this, I think there still would be a commercial private space industry. But it certainly wouldn't be growing at the rate it's going because these guys, at least some of them, have put their mouth where their money is, so to speak, and said, you know, I'm not just going to build space rockets, but I'm going to go to space too. And that's what Jeff Bezos did this summer, short, short trip uh, into orbit and back. And uh, Richard Branson also did, although his company builds a space plane, so he sort of went to the outer reaches of the Earth's atmosphere just about into space, but not officially into space. And um, the third billionaire, Elon Musk, has not gone to space yet, but he claims he's going to take a ride too. How much of an indication do you think what they've done here is an indication of, of what's to come? 
like is is this just sort of a one-off thing we've got these guys who have a lot of money and are interested in space and they're shooting themselves up there or does this mean that in a couple years we might be seeing way more people doing stuff like this like what do you see the commercial landscape looking like in the near future well i think when it comes to space tourism there's still some question marks i mean i think all these guys are doing this not just because it's it's something they personally want to do and they've been starry-eyed you know ever since they were kids but they also have a business model behind it in other words they're not just spending their money for a joyride they do anticipate that they're going to be able to sell tickets and you know in the beginning it'll probably be very wealthy people that will be able to afford to do it um but i think there's no doubt in the next few years we will see more and more of these flights um you know they're probably not going to be the hundreds they're probably not going to be in the thousands certainly um and i think that's the big question is when when does it move beyond the very wealthy very small numbers of people who want to do this to a to a much larger number of people and i i I get the sense we're still a ways away from that but but that's certainly the business model um but only one business model i should point out in other words these billionaires have space companies and it's they're they're not just building spacecraft to take people on tourist rides they're doing all sorts of other things supporting nasa supporting the the plan to return american astronauts to the moon um building huge constellations of satellites um all sorts of things that that Bezos and Musk and Branson you know are doing in their space companies tourism being just one piece of the business model when you're watching this as someone who has had a lifelong interest in all things space who i mean while we're recording this you are at the annual space symposium in Colorado Springs I mean, what do you feel when you watch this? Because I I remember, you know, watching these flights and a lot of people were, you know, texting about the live stream and everything. But then afterwards, there was this whole backlash of like, okay, great. These are rich dudes in space. I don't know. What do you think about it? Like, is this a step forward for mankind or is this just, I don't know, rich playground? You know, I think it's probably both. You know, part of it is these billionaires who are living their boyhood dreams of going to space and wanting to give the opportunity to others to go to space but you know i think the excitement is also much broader than that because you know space systems whether it's satellites um or other spacecraft uh are being designed and built uh, you know with all kinds of other purposes in mind to help us here on earth whether it's to better monitor climate change whether it's to some people want to mine the moon and mine asteroids and you know secure more resources uh for the human race to thrive and so there's all kinds of excitement and all kinds of really interesting people that are getting into the space community not just to build rockets uh you know to go to space not just to build satellites for the military but to actually build systems that could actually help human kind and so i think that's that's drawing in a lot of different people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to go into this kind of industry. You've been looking into the regulatory aspect of this. Um the role that that Washington is playing and will play as commercial space expands. What sort of regulatory framework do we have and is Washington ready for probably a lot more of this? I think the short answer is there's not much of this at all and i think that is one of the stories uh 
or storylines that we at Politico have been covering, which is if you're going to have more space tourism, if you're going to have lots more satellites, lots more uh, space launches, you know, whether it's from Florida or California, the usual places or these newer spaceports that that different states and communities are building, what is going to be the regulatory framework for that? What are the safety regulations? Who, you know, what's the government agency that has to sign off on your spacecraft and say, yes, we think it's safe? You know, right now we have the FAA that does that for commercial airline travel, but we don't really have anything like that on the space side. And so I think we're beginning to see some movement on that. I mean, the, you know, there are government agencies like the FAA and others that do have oversight over space commerce and space launch and licensing and that sort of thing. I mean, you can't just launch a rocket, you know, without a government license. So there is processes for that, but I think most everyone agrees that it's still in its infancy. Would you say that Washington is lacking in this field when it comes to space regulation? There's debate about whether Washington is sort of behind the curve on regulating this new industry or not. Some would say there's still enough time that we're, we're still not quite there where there's going to be so many of these flights that it, it's going to become an issue. But, you know, it's going to happen pretty soon. And as we all know, Washington works pretty slowly. So I think there's a lot more pressure now to start thinking about what is that government oversight framework look like? And also, how does it interact with international players? Because, you know, like the maritime domain or, you know, the, the high seas, space is a domain that lots of countries now are also playing in, also putting up satellites, um, also planning like Russia and China to go to the moon. And so how are we, how is Washington coordinating with all those other players uh, is also a really big question. And I think something that people think is pretty urgent, that we need to set some rules of the road that we're all going to adhere to in terms of safety, in terms of how you operate in space to make sure that we all benefit from it. And by the way, it doesn't become another war zone because there is concern about that. The military relies heavily on space assets and the Chinese and the Russians. And, you know, we don't always see eye to eye with them. And so there is concern that if, if we don't set some rules for how this big, huge explosion in the space economy is going to evolve, then, you know, we might have a real explosion someday up there. And, and obviously nobody wants that. Brian Bender, thanks so much for talking with me. Anytime. Brian Bender is the author of Politico's Space Newsletter. You can find that at politico.com slash newsletters and in this episode's show notes. And just a quick heads up, I'm going to be away from the microphone for the most part over the next week. But don't go anywhere because we've still got some awesome stuff coming your way. Until then, I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.